Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. It is said by an old writer that in the olden times, men used to take care of their houses, but now the houses take care of the men. That they used to eat off of oaken porringers, and then they were oaken men. But now they are willow men, can bend anyhow, that are earthenware men, which can be dashed to pieces. Scarcely in politics, in business, or in religion have you got a man. You see a lot of things which are called men who turn the way the wind blows. I pray God to send a few men with what Americans call grit in them. Men who, when they know a thing to be right, will not turn away or stop or turn aside. Men who will persevere all the more because there are difficult times and foes to encounter. Who stand all the more true to their master because they are opposed. Who the more they are thrust in the fire, the hotter they become. Who just like the bow, the further the string is drawn, the more powerfully will it send forth its arrows. And so the more they are trodden upon, the more mightily will they become in the cost of truth against error. Resolve, brothers and sisters... When you see and you are found in any sort of persecution, to, to face it with full countenance. Like a nettle is the persecutor, touch it gently and it will sting you. But grasp it and it hurts you not. Lay hold of those who oppose you, not with rough vengeance, but with strong grip of quiet decision. And you have won the day. Yield no principle, no, not the breath of a hair of that principle. Stand up for every solitary grain of truth. Contend for it as for your own life. Remember your forefathers, not merely your Christian forefathers, but those who are your progenitors as the faith as Baptists. Remember those who of old were cast out of the Christian church, which he means the Catholic church, with contempt, because they would not bend to the heirs of the time. Think of the snow of the Alps and call to the mind of the Waldensians and the Albigensians, your great forerunners. Think again of the Lollards, the disciples of Wycliffe, Think of your brethren in Germany who not many centuries ago, nay, but a century ago, in this case for us, many centuries ago, um, were sewn up in sacks, had their hands chopped off, bled, and died. A glorious list of martyrs, your whole pedigree, Kaya, your whole pedigree, from the beginning to the end is stained with blood from the days of John the Baptist until now. The kingdom of heaven has been made to suffer the violence of man. And you, you, Kaya, will you yield? Shall these soft times, these gentle ages, take away your pristine valor, make you to craven sons of heroic fathers? No. If, you, if you're not called to suffering of, a, of, of the martyr, 
yet bear, bear the spirit of the martyr. If you cannot burn as he did in the flesh, burn as he did in the spirit. If you have nothing to endure but the trials of cruel mockings, take it patiently. Endure it joyfully, for happy are ye inasmuch as ye are partakers of the sufferings of your divine master. Now, that is a quote from from Spurgeon's uh, sermons, but I, I totally agree with it because we struggle with the same things that the lost world struggles. We struggle with depression, anxiety. We're, we're at much at risk of divorce and adultery as the lost world. And it's not that we don't have the answers to those problems. It's that we don't live out the answers. We don't take a hold of the grace that we have accessible to us. And therefore, we're, we're just like the lost world. This is because we live like and are consumed by the same things that they live by and are consumed by. So let us pray that we may have the ears to hear this message this morning. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your love. And I thank you that you've given me such, a, such an awesome family. And um, Lord, you've given me a savior. You've given me uh, confidence You've given me love that um, I can't find anywhere else. Lord, teach us this morning. Teach me this morning to, to live out what it means to uh, be in the fellowship of your sufferings. We love you, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to use this time to tell you that Jesus Christ came and died for your sins, actually for the whole world. He took our sins to the cross, was buried for three days, and on the third day, he rose in victory unto eternal life. Now, if I get to choose on that, on that fact, guess what? The Bible says that I receive eternal life as well. Now, I want to open that up for you this morning in case if, if you didn't know that was accessible to you, I am here to tell you that Jesus has done away with your, with your depression, your anxiety, any problem, any oppression that you feel, any injustice, any, any death in your life. Let me tell you, though, that you can partake of that victory if, if you will just believe and submit to the truth of the word of God. If you get anything out of this morning, get this. The gospel is the reason we can live a true godly life and experience great gain. Without it, we suffer discontentment in carnal living. The reason we cannot live a a life set apart from the world is because we struggle with the same things that people without the Holy Spirit struggle. And it's because we have forgotten the simple message of the gospel. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the context of this passage is at the tail end of the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. And Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, the pastor of the church at Ephesus, which Ephesus means fully purposed. Okay? He, Paul wrote this letter from the city of Laodicea, which stands for the, 
the people's rights. Now, what Paul said to Timothy is that he needs to stay at Ephesus. The spiritual picture we see there is that Paul is urging Timothy to remain fully purposed, to not be focused on his own rights. I hope we catch that. Because in between his two imprisonments, this letter was written at the tail end of the book of Acts, I believe, where Paul was in prison. This verse is at the tail end of the framework that Paul sets for the Grace Age Church on how the believers ought to behave in the local body, how he ought to honor God. Now, before we get to the passage, I want to do. I want to give you guys a disclaimer because we know that this is a pastoral epistle written to a pastor, but we don't get to tune out, right? Uh, it doesn't, doesn't mean that because you're not a pastor, a Bible study leader, a disciple, a discipler, or an elder, that this doesn't apply to you. But I, I, w- I want to beg that, that you pay attention this morning because this passage very much applies to us. Now, first, let me read the passage within, within its context so we can get a better understanding of why we're focusing on verse 6. Verse 2 says, And they have uh, believing masters. Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved. Partakers of the benefit, these things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not the wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud Knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strives of words whereof cometh envy. Strive, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth. Supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can't carry nothing out. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. Excuse me. Okay, so what Paul is saying in very simple terms is godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Great job, Amanda. Let's look a bit further into the passage, and let's break down these three components that we have. In contrast to the passage before this verse, we see that Paul is warning Timothy. He's warning him of those that will infiltrate the church. And guess what? They'll infiltrate this church as false teachers. He calls them proud, supposing that gain is godliness. Their agenda is to disguise themselves as godly men, but they're only about making money. And I would go as far as saying they're, they're about making money out of you, okay? He says, from such, withdraw thyself. And 2 Timothy 3.5 says, having a form of godliness, and let me, stop, let me stop there. We know someone that says they love the Lord, says that they, man, God is doing a ton in their lives. And you ask them, so what is that? They're like, well, it's just too much to tell you. Right? Like, I, I just can't tell you because it's so much. Huh. Okay. But denying the power thereof, there's no evidence of the power of Christ working in their lives. 
From such withdraw thyself. Now, obviously, we are not, we're, we don't believe in the cancel culture, but trust me, we, we know who these guys are, right? <clears throat> okay, I'm digressing here, but, but the real question is, what is godliness? What is godliness, okay? Now, common sense tells us that godliness is godlikeness because of it, the construct of the word, right? But key point number one, I want to suggest that godliness is in the life of the believer requires the right knowledge of God to live right for God. <clears throat> Let me say that one more time. Godliness in the life of the believer requires the right knowledge of God based on the word of God to live a right life for God. Godliness, as it is described by its first mention of the word, it's actually defined as another word. It's used as holiness. And we find it, interestingly enough, only in the New Testament. And Peter uses this word, and let me just go there. Acts 3.12, and Peter when. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? And why look, sorry, and why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power and holiness we had made this man to walk? So Peter's using this word of godliness slash holiness as a devotional life. It is his religious activity that he's using, that he's describing this word as. Peter is also the one that teaches us that godliness builds upon knowledge, uh, temperance, and patience in order to effectually love one another. Let's look at 2 Peter 1.3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith the virtue and to your virtue knowledge. Now, again, let me, let me park right here because I, I, I see this as, okay, you have a simple faith in Jesus Christ. You have given your life to Jesus Christ now, you're, you're called to add virtue to that. What does that look like? Well, I, I liken that as discipleship, right? What, what virtue is, is saying yes to what God says yes to and no to what God says no to. Where do you learn that? You learn that in discipleship. Now, you add to that virtue knowledge. So what do we add to discipleship? We add, well, there, it's, we have a couple classes called Foundation 2 and Foundations 3. And you add to discipleship knowledge. And in, in, this, in these classes, you learn the, the character qualities of a godly man and, and woman of God. And so you start add, adding to your virtue knowledge in a way that later on in the next verse it says, and besides this, giving all, um, I'm sorry, in verse 6, and to knowledge add temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness. So then we add to knowledge something that we have called LFBI. And we learn about doing ministry in these classes. And we see our pastors and elders doing ministry. 
also teaching us what it looks like to do ministry, and we learn temperance and patience. And to that, he continues to say, and godliness, or in patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness, charity. So, not that there's levels to these things. We can do all, the, all of them at the same time, if you are catching my drift. But at the point that we are starting to walk with Christ based on the knowledge that we're learning, and based on the experience and the temperance and patience that we're acquiring, we are able to walk in a godly manner. So godliness can be defined by a strong school concordance as the right worship of God. In other words, the correct worship of God. So how can we, Kaya, have the right perspective of the worship of God? Now, if you've been through discipleship, you know that you have had to be established in the worship of God, which means making God worth everything in your life, right? And unless this, is, this has been established in your life, we're, we're not moving forward, right? But what does, it, what does it mean to live a godly life? We know, that we, we know what it's not. We know what to add it to and what it produces. But let's go deeper and let's, let's look at the mystery of godliness, 1 Timothy 3.16, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was made manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seeing of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, received up in glory. Guys, the mystery of godliness is the testimony of Jesus Christ. Man, you guys sound weak this morning. Jesus... Becoming God, becoming flesh, and dying for our sins, and granting us eternal life, being preached unto the world. Godliness is the person of God, the purpose of God, the mission of God. Godliness looks like Jesus being lived out, being manifested through you. The same way God was manifested in the flesh. So I have a question for you this morning. I have a couple. This is the first one. Is the reason I am not living a godly life because I have forgotten the power of the gospel in my life? Is the reason I am not living a godly life, Jesus living through me, Because I have forgotten the power of the gospel in my life. Hey, Miller, what's up, man? Hey, um, this is my friend Miller from Tulsa. You need to take him to the best barbecue place in town. Like, if he doesn't get taken out to barbecue, we failed as a fellowship. (laughs) I'm dead serious. Again, is the reason I'm not living a godly life, Christ living through me, because I have forgotten the message of the gospel. Let's consider that. Now, it's important because we see that the contentment cannot live without godliness, and godliness cannot live without contentment. The first mention of contentment is actually a pretty weird passage, but let's talk about it. Genesis 30, 37, 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What prophet? 
is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. Joseph's brother, brothers were, were coming to the conclusion that it's better to sell our brother, our little brother Joseph, instead of, instead of killing him ourselves. And if, you know, if the Ishmaelites kill him, then you know, he's dead. We've accomplished what we wanted. And guess what? They made money off of him. Thanks, Miles. But they were content in compromising in this way, getting the blood off of their hands, right? They compromised in this way. And that was their benefit. <clears throat> Exodus 2.21 says that, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah, his daughter. Now, the context of this passage is that Moses helps these, these women at the well because they're being harassed by other shepherds. And the priest of Midian says, you know, come, stay the night with us. And also, here's my daughter. Weird, right? I'd never do that. I never just, dude. Uh, <laughs> man, I'm sidetracking here. Um, but, okay, but Moses was content to receive the blessing, to be sheltered, to receive a wife. He was willing. He was at peace. He received the blessing, right? As we study this word, we see that contentment is, is always associated with that transaction. And the party that receives a blessing is benefiting very well. All right? It, let's not forget that because for the church age believer, we receive a more direct example of this word. And Jesus talking to um, the soldiers in Luke 3, 14, and he says, And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your, with your wages. Paul talks about contentment in a more um, overarching manner. Right? He is uh, encapsulating everything that you could ever be content about. And he, he talks about his accolades, his achievements. And he says, they were all but dung to me. Right? Now, let's look at Philippians 4.11. He says, not that I speak of respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be a base, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Amen? Now, check, check this out. This approach it. If you ever see someone with Philippians 4.13 in their Instagram bio, they are the people from 2 Timothy 3.5. The, the people that claim to be godly, but have no power thereof. I mean, it's just the, this is the pattern I've seen, right? <clears throat> so no matter what can happen in my life, no matter what I can lose, no matter who can offend me, I can be content. Amen? Amen? So Philippians 3.10 says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Guys, we're called to die. 
So I have no right to be offended, have no right to claim my rights, have no, have no rights. That's the truth. Now, if you're a Christian and you say otherwise, man, I don't know what book you're reading. Because key point number, one, number two, contentment is a byproduct of a godly life. If we have... If we live a godly life with contentment, then we can win despite the trial or tribulation. For those in the back, contentment is a byproduct of a godly life. If we live a godly life with contentment, then we can win despite trial or tribulation. What I mean by this key point is that Contentment without godliness is contentment in the wrong things. Contentment in sin, contentment in disobedience, contentment in idleness, contentment in you fill in the blank with whatever you're content with. Godliness without contentment is mere religion. It doesn't benefit anybody. It's a waste of your time and mine for that matter and God's time. Contentment on top of a pure, godly life can produce a bulletproof, fearless, and powerful lifestyle. Believer, do you believe that? Like Paul, can we truly say that we are content in whatsoever state we may find ourselves? Man, sometimes that's hard for me to answer, and I say no. Sometimes I'm not content. When the government starts fining us for preaching the gospel... When they shut down your, or are for that matter, evangelism ministry, first Saturday of the month, will you continue to preach the gospel? When they start throwing our pastors and elders and evangelists, for that matter, in jail for preaching Romans 1 because it's hate speech. Will you continue to be content in whatsoever state you may find yourself? Now, let me ask you this, though. We talked about contentment, but let's talk about, I mean, is there righteous discontentment? Is there such a thing as right, rightly being discontent at something? I mean, yes, thank you. <laughs> there we go. I mean, I think of Jesus Christ turning tables, whipping people because they're making the house of his father a merchandise. Or they're, they're, sell, they're, they're making profit out of the house of the Lord. Now let me ask you, are you discontent with the sin in your life? Are you discontent with the lack of fruit in your life? Are you discontent with the fact that there hasn't been a new visitor in your Bible study in a while? I get it. Success is in obedience and not in numbers and results. But obedience in what? Obedience in what? Are you discontent with the fact that Jesus is not the mayor of Kansas City yet? And that's hard to believe sometimes. But man, I wish he was. 
Romans 8.32, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Why wouldn't he? My second question for you, and these questions are supposed to be refle- for you to reflect, right? Like they're, they're not just to look pretty up there. They're, they're for us to, to ask ourselves, challenge ourselves, judge ourselves. Do I believe that I have power with God and man? Or is my life reactive and swayed by my circumstances? Are you like the willow tree, swayed by the wind? Paul was preparing Timothy for what was to come. He's making sure that his ministry and character was in line with the Spirit because he warns him that the church will be infiltrated by false teachers. And we see that in, <clears throat> we see that Paul was just, he was ready for anything, right? In Philippians 1.20, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The reason I landed on this passage was because I was reading through 2 Samuel chapter 11, and it's David um, fornicating with Bathsheba. In chapter 12, Nathan comes to David, and he gives him this, this story, and David's like, no way, like, this injustice. And Nathan's like, man, that's you, right? That man is you. Now, in, in that passage... Nathan speaking, or God speaking through Nathan, and, and God says, I have given you the house of Saul. I have, I have given you his wives. I have given you everything you have ever wanted. And guess what? I, I would have given you so much, so much more if you had just asked. But you took it upon yourself to do whatever you wanted. And I think the heart of that was that David had everything. I mean, we, I think we have the best ministry in the world, and I could be wrong. And I think sometimes we're tempted to look at another pasture and to see where the grass is greener and stick our head through the fence and start eating that grass. So friends, will you consider the abyss in your heart, the lack in your life, how tired you are of, find, of, of looking for success in the world. I cannot promise you happiness, but I can promise you joy. Joy through any circumstance. And that, my friend, that is great gain. I can promise you that the company of a God that longs to, to walk with you and for you to know him through any valley 
through any injustice, through death itself, as he holds your hand through, through the realm of, of life and death into eternal life. Key point number, number three, great gain is being able to overcome any circumstance with a blameless testimony and, a pure, and pure joy through Jesus Christ. Now, I think I sped through that because I'm, I'm about done. So if the worship team wants to come up. Um, now, this, let me give you a disclaimer. This isn't the time to pack up, right? This is the time to start reflecting on what was taught. Um, but I'm, I'm going to ask that, that we would all consider the word this morning. That we would consider the truth not my style of preaching, not my character, not my clothes, not my accent or my mustache. I challenge you to consider the word that was preached this morning. I know that I, I know that those water bottles need to be banned. <laughs> I know that we all have something to lay down this morning. I know I do, right? And, and the thing about our, our services, guys, Every time we are dismissed, you know what I hear from everyone? Man, that message was so good. Not like speaking of Brandon in our Acts series, everyone's like, man, that message was so good. But, but guess what? Nobody, nobody came to the altar. Like, maybe, yeah, maybe you sat down, but that, that's only a few. What I hear from everyone is that everyone was convicted. Now, maybe you're not convicted today. But I want to challenge you, Kaya, that every Sunday morning, we ought to be laying things down. Again, I know that, that we all do this morning. I know that I do. And you're not alone. I love you all. Uh, Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you that You've given us, you've given us peace and rest no matter what. No matter what failure, no matter what character flaws we may carry. Uh, Lord, you are, um, you're our God. And you long to walk with us and, and love us. Would we just, would you teach us to accept your love and your grace? Give us fruit, Lord. Please make us rich at your, at your judgment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.com dot L-I-V-E